you need to go a little further, you see Habakkuk or Nahum, you've gone a little too far, uh, it might be just best for you to go to the front of your Bible and find it, the page number, and go there. I've preached through this book, found it a hundred times, and it's still probably the hardest one for me to find. I can find Obadiah right next to it, no problem. But for some reason, Jonah was hiding from the Lord. He's hiding from us. Okay, I get it. Now, um, Jonah, the second chapter. Jonah, the second chapter. I want to speak to you tonight about this. Give to the Lord what is due to him. With your life, with your time, with your effort, with all of your energy, with everything of who you are, give to the Lord what is due to him. The Lord does not play games with us. He doesn't see us as having autonomy from him or independence from him as equals on a playing field to be worked out in some common agreement relationship. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. And we owe him our life. It is only appropriate. That's what it means when we sing, worthy is the lamb. Amen. When we sing worthy, it means that he's worthy of everything, that there is nothing that could be given to him that is not fitly due to his name. And so he is worthy of it all. Let's look tonight at the book of Jonah, the second chapter, and we're going to look mainly at verse 9 and 10, but we can read the whole second chapter starting in verse 1. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, or death, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Do you hear that tonight? When my life was fainting away, at the very last moment when I could feel life leaving my body as I was drowning, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. Now, do you think that was a mighty prayer? Or do you think that was a desperate, lowly, weak prayer? And yet, grace carried that prayer into the very throne room of God. It is not the might of your prayers that gets it into heaven. It flies by the wings of grace before the mercy seat of Christ that he would hear that honest, desperate cry 
to the Lord, and he said, you heard my prayer. Praise God. What a wonderful thought to think. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I want to focus on this statement in verse 9, where he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I want us to focus tonight on this idea of Jonah coming to his senses, remembering the Lord, and then suddenly realizing that by grace, he could be delivered from the situation that he had gotten himself into, but he knew that there would be a requirement. He knew that there was a responsibility to give to God what truly belonged to him. And I just wonder tonight how many of you are children of God and you love God and you've got a call of God on your life or the evidence of the grace of God on your life and you know that you ought to be serving the Lord or working with the Lord and doing something in his name, but somehow you've gotten off the path and somehow you've gotten away from what the Lord would have you to do. And all of a sudden, your life has become your own, and you've taken it into your own hands, and you've made a commitment to the Lord that is not being kept. And God is at work to bring you back to your senses so that you would remember the Lord and say, somehow, Lord, I got off track, but Lord, what belongs to you, I want to pay it to you. I want to give you my life. I want to give you what truly belongs to you. Can we pray this evening and ask for the Spirit of God to help us? Lord, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you give us the opportunity to come into your presence, to hear your word, to learn and understand it. And I ask you, Lord, that you would speak to us and teach us your ways. Deal with our hearts, God. Deal with the hearts of those who've grown cold. Deal with the hearts of those who've grown weary. Deal with the hearts of those who have offered you their life and have pulled it back because they were not happy with what you were doing with it. And Lord, deal with the heart that is dead, that you might revive it and bring it to new life, that it might beat unto the glory of God. We ask you that you would have your way among us tonight. Be gracious to us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. As we focus on this statement where he says that I will pay my vow. What I have vowed, I will pay. What is a vow? The Hebrew word for vow is nadar. It is a verb. This is the verbal concept. The verbal concept denotes the making of an oral voluntary promise to give or do something as an expression of consecration or devotion to the service of God. 
is the verbal concept of making an oral voluntary promise to give or do something as an expression of consecration or devotion to the service of God. In other words, it is to say to the Lord, here is something I have, it is mine, and I commit it to you. I give it to you. I make a vow. I make a promise. I'm, I'm putting this thing into your hands. An example of this is Jacob, and he vowed to return a tenth of all that God bestowed upon him if God would protect and preserve him on his journey. That's Genesis 28 and 20. A vow is the act of committing something to the Lord. What is committed may not have been given yet, but it is essentially his already. It rightfully belongs to him. And that's the point. That though it hasn't been given, it's been pledged. Amen? It's been offered and committed to him, and it already belongs to him, even though it might not be in his hand. We understand this concept through the idea of being engaged to be married, right? The, The role of engagement is to say, we might not be married yet, but I commit to marry you. I commit to refrain from all other people, and essentially, we are committed and devoted one to another. Even though we might not be married yet, I covenant to only be yours, and you covenant to only be mine, and we are in agreement to be married to one another, right? This is why we call it exchanging of vows. This is a commitment to one another to give something to the other person. A powerful illustration of this is in 1 Samuel. If you can open to your Bible with me there in 1 Samuel and the first chapter. 1 Samuel and the first chapter. We're not going to read all of the details that we could, but we find in 1 Samuel chapter 1 a woman named Hannah and her husband named Elkanah. And this man and this woman had been married for some time, but for some reason, she was unable to get pregnant. The actual statement that the scripture uses is that the Lord had shut up her womb, that she was unable to bear a child. And this woman was tormented. She was grieved. She was weary. She was heartbroken. She ached. She longed. She yearned for this child. And she grieved so much that it says in verse 10, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She made a vow to the Lord. She made a verbal commitment to the Lord. Lord, this is the commitment that I will make to you. Lord, if you will bless me in this, if you will give me a son, I will commit this son to you. And what does it say? All the days of his life. Because a vow, essentially, the root idea is always a sacrifice. And the idea of a sacrifice is something once it is given, you can't get it back. Amen? Because sacrifices are permanent. Amen? Sacrifices 
are permanent. If you take a lamb and you bring this to the temple and you say, Lord, this is yours, and you sacrifice this animal to the Lord, you don't get it back. Amen? Sacrifices make things permanent. And so the priest will take this lamb, put a knife to its neck, and cut it, and it will bleed out and die, and it is permanently given to the Lord. It cannot be retrieved. And so the majority of the time that you see the idea of vows, it is essentially first tied to sacrifices. It is something that is committed to the Lord permanently. You can't give a portion of it. You can't give a small amount. All of it belongs to the Lord. You're committing it to the Lord in its totality for the endurance of its life. And so she doesn't say, Lord, if, if you'll give me this child, I'll give him to you for the first 10 years of his life, or I'll give him to you for a season, or he can work in the temple, or every Sabbath he can serve you, or from 20 to 30 he can serve you. She knows that a vow to the Lord is a permanent, lifelong commitment to the Lord. And so she says, Lord, if you will give me this son, he will be yours all the days of his life. And this is what it says in verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Because the name Samuel sounds like the Hebrew word for heard of God. And so she names this boy Samuel. And it says in verse 21, Then the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. This is a family that is devoted to the Lord, and he's going to worship, and he's made vows to the Lord to sacrifice to God. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. And this is the word of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, that if you make a commitment to God and you make a vow to God, that God will hold you to, his, to the word that you've made, to the commitment that you've made. And so he's saying, you can not come if you want. I understand you're weaning the child. You can't give him to the Lord yet, but just know that you're not avoiding the temple, and then you're just going to get comfortable and hold this child and go, I've vowed to the Lord, but I didn't mean it, and the Lord didn't really give him to me, and I'm just going to get comfortable and say, I know I gave him to you, but you really can't have him, and you really can't spend his life the way that you want, and I'm really not willing to let it go. He says, you have to know. That's fine. You don't have to go. You can wait, but eventually this child has to go to God if you've committed it to him. We're not going to be unfaithful. And so she agrees with this. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Verse 24, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli, the head priest of the temple. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. 
For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. For all of his life, I know that I will never get this child back. This is a lifetime commitment, and I am bringing this child to the Lord and saying, God, he is yours to serve you. He is yours to minister through his life. You can do with him anything that you please, but I know that this is a life time commitment because vows are sacrifices and sacrifices don't come back. And I'm willing to cut my soul off from this, to let it go, to put it into the hand of the Lord and say, Lord, he now belongs to you. And so do we understand what a vow is tonight? Do we understand the implications of this idea of committing something to the Lord, giving something to the Lord, saying, Lord, you are worthy of this sacrifice and this commitment? And we go back to Jonah And we pick up in the story of Jonah with him trapped in the belly of the fish. And we have to ask, what brought up this moment? I think we need to understand what I understand about this passage. And I believe that the context bears it out. That he says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. I don't believe that what he is saying is that, hey, before I left on this journey to run from God, I committed to offer to the Lord a goat or a bull or an ephah flower or some other thing. I believe what he's saying is, I had given you my life in your service to obey you as a servant of the Lord. And then when I saw you doing something with it that I didn't like, I pulled it back and said, it's not yours anymore. You don't get to do this with my life. And now he's coming to a point of re-surrender where he's rededicating his life to the Lord. If we want to use that language, we're, we're comfortable with that language in the American church. We talk about that, right? Because there is so much committing to the Lord and then going the other way that we're familiar with that language, but it's not a new thing that people have always struggled with their commitment to the Lord. And I believe that what Jonah is saying is that I had given my life to you and then I saw you doing something with it that I didn't like and I pulled it away. And now I'm willing, Lord, to recommit to you because I came to my senses. And so I want you to think about this. Think about it with me. This man is an Israelite, a Jew, And the one other time that we know of him being used of God to prophesy to Israel, he prophesies a message of grace. And God basically says to the king of Israel, I know that you're not even going to submit to me. You're not even going to repent. You are so full of wickedness that nothing I say is going to deter your heart. And yet, if you will ask me to deliver you, I will do it for the sake of my people. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But the point is that if you go read this story of Jonah prophesying to this king, it is a story of radical grace in the willingness of God to be merciful to his people. And the king and the people basically harden their heart and say, no, we don't want any of God's grace and mercy. We'd rather do it on our own. And so Jonah is grieving 
grieved over his people, weeping over his people. I want my people to receive grace. I want them to receive forgiveness. I want them to walk in obedience toward God. God has given me a message of repentance and provision and blessing and grace for their life, and they won't receive it, and I'm grieved. And then God tells him, go to Nineveh and preach that judgment is coming. And if you read the whole narrative, you find that the reason that Jonah ran from the Lord is because when God chooses to judge Nineveh, send a message of judgment, and they repent at that message of judgment, Jonah says, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. This is why I didn't want to go preach, because I knew that you are slow to anger and full of steadfast mercy, and I wanted you to punish those people, and I didn't want to give them an opportunity to repent, and I certainly didn't want to be the vessel that you are going to use to bring them to repentance. I wanted them to be judged. If we can't receive grace, I don't want them to receive grace. And so God's whole purpose of calling Jonah was not because he had no other prophet. It was because by giving him this mission, he would deal with the things that were in his heart. And the whole point of the book of Jonah is that God is after the heart of his people who are bearing his message, but are not bearing his heart that they are not like the servants of the Lord and that God's purpose is not to just give you a purpose, but God's purpose is to deal with what's on the inside of you. And so God sends him to do this and he says, I don't want to be a part of it. Now let me ask you, let's put this in an illustration. Imagine you came to the church and you said, Pastor, I own five acres of land And the Lord put it on my heart to bless the church with it. And I want to give it to the church. We believe in what the church is doing. We want to give it to the Lord. We want to serve the Lord with it. And we say, okay. And we build some houses and some property on that. And we begin to put people in that who are destitute or alcoholics or drug addicts, people who need help and need support in a discipleship program. You go, oh, that is wonderful. I love what you're doing. I've given this to you, and I'm so happy with what you're doing with it. And then somebody that has hurt you and wounded you, someone that has been incredibly unkind to you, comes and says, we need help. We have nowhere to live. We're homeless. And we say, well, we'll put you in this house. We'll pay for your groceries. We'll pay for your lights. We'll help you. We'll do discipleship with you. We'll try to see you grow, and we're going to be a blessing to you. And you come and you say, I didn't give you that land for you to help those people with it. Those people hurt me. Those people wounded me. Those people have tried to destroy my family. They have destroyed my heart. I have stayed up night after night weeping over them, heartbroken over them. You have no idea how they betrayed and wounded and hurt me. And I intended for this to be used for the Lord. And I'm okay with anything else. But don't put those people on that property. And I say, I'm sorry, that's the commitment that we made. We've gonna, we're going to do that. He said, then I want my property back. You can give that back to me. Or you can give that one portion to me. We're going to circle off this one area, and I want it back. You do not have the right to do with this property that I gave you something that I don't want you to do. It no longer belongs to you. You need to give it back to me. 
And I say, well, it's in our name. You gave it to us. It belongs to us. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to do donuts in the front yard. I'm going to tear the siding off the house. I'm going to spray paint the front door. We're going to cut the wires and the cables running it out. We're just going to do everything we can to try and upset this one area that we're not okay with what you're doing with it. And we look at that and we say, that sounds so silly and so petty and it doesn't even make any sense. And yet, that is more like us than we would like to admit. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man of love. I want to be a man of forgiveness. I want to raise my children to serve the Lord. And somehow the Lord in his providence or by the leading of his spirit begins to move us in directions that we don't like and we're uncomfortable with. How many people have I seen commit themselves to the work of the Lord and they have a vision and they're excited and they want to be a part of it and then it gets hard. And then they have to pay a price and they get wounded and they have to wash the feet of a devil like Jesus washing the feet of Judas and those who should most be faithful to them are betraying them and wounding them. They're not appreciative toward them. How many people have said, Lord, I want to serve you, but Lord, you're doing things with my life that I don't like. You're cutting, you're wounding, you're harming. I feel like you're pouring out my life in a way that's wasting it. Isn't that what Paul said that he said, my life is poured out like a drink offering. And how many Christians would say, but look at the life of Paul. Look how wise he is, how much revelation he has. Look how committed he is. Don't waste his life, Lord. Don't pour it out on people who are hard-headed and people who are resentful, people who don't want to hear. Pour his heart out over the people that are loving, people that are hungry for the gospel. Don't allow there to be so much conflict. Don't waste his life, Lord. What are you doing with his life? And he says, God is doing with my life whatever he pleases, and I'm okay with it. And I'll just say to you how many believers have said to the Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to give you everything. But don't do this with my life. I remember when my first son was born. I held that little boy a few moments out of the womb. And all I could do is take that child and hold him up to the Lord and say, Lord, he is yours to do with as you please. Whatever you wish. And all I could do is I sat there and I wondered, what if the Lord calls him to missions and trains him and teaches him and he does everything that he can and goes to some foreign land to preach the gospel? And before he can ever open his mouth, he gets malaria and dies on a mission field preaching to nobody. What are you doing with my son? That's my boy. You would allow him to do all of this and I pour and invest in his life to make him a man of God and you're just going to let him die before he ever preaches to anybody? If you don't read a missions book, you don't know how often that has happened. How many millions of dollars went into training people to learn languages, to learn cultures, to learn people, years preparing, and then they die on a boat ride over to the place they're going, never having preached to anybody they trained for. And you look at that and go, God, what are you doing? Or a child that you say, Lord, I want him to be a preacher. Let him serve you. Let that child do anything that he can for your glory. And at nine years old, he gets cancer. And you're watching a little boy or a little girl sit there with their body racked in pain going, how can this glorify God? How can this be for your good? What are you doing? This child belongs to you and you're wasting him. And how many people have pulled back and said, if that's the way that you're going to spend my child... You don't have the right to my child. 
How many people have committed their jobs to the Lord and said, Lord, I want to glorify you in my place of work. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a witness to your glory and your name. And people just are unkind or unappreciative or you get fired or things don't work out or you get hurt and you lose the job. And you say, Lord, I thought I committed this to you. What are you doing? And here we find Jonah, a man who's committed his life to the Lord. He's a prophet. He's a servant of the living God. He's ministered. He's prepared. He's done all of this work to be used by God. And God says, I've got a purpose for you. He says, not that purpose. I made a vow to you. I made a commitment to you. But this is not how I wanted my life to be spent. And the Lord sent a storm. The Lord sent the waves. And he was thrown over the boat. And the Lord sent a fish. All for one man's heart. He could have called somebody else, right? He could have called somebody else. He could have used anybody else. But he's going to go through all of this dramatic mess. Because he's not just after that 200,000 in Nineveh. He's after the heart of his servant. And I tell you, God is chasing after your heart. God is running after your heart and saying, that belongs to me. I've got a purpose for that. And maybe you say, I don't feel like God can have any purpose for my life. What can God do with my life? How can God use me? How could God put me into his service and into his ministry? I don't understand how God could use me. And I tell you this, God says, I've got a purpose for your life. I've got something that I'm trying to do through your life. And maybe it's just to be a Mary instead of a Martha, to sit at the feet of Jesus and worship and honor the Lord. And Jesus said of her, she has chosen the good part. She's letting me get after her heart and she wants me above everything else. But Jesus is chasing your heart. And what happens? God allows him to be brought to the brink of utter death. He says in verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. Think of that. The waters closed over me. I I can see the sky above me. The waters are closing and they're pushing me down beneath the waters. And I feel like they're taking my life. The deep surrounded me. I don't even know which way is up anymore. I'm just in the waters, in the ocean, feeling lost. The weeds, the seaweed has begun to swirl around me and it's wrapped about my head. I'm at the root of the mountains. I feel like I'm at the bottom of the earth. I feel like I'm so enclosed. I'm trapped. There's nowhere for me to go. I tried running from the Lord to flee to Tarshish and God says, I'm closing you in on every side. You can't get away from me. You can't ignore me. You can't resist me. I'm going to deal with your heart. We are going to talk. We are going to deal with that issue in your heart. We're going to deal with that thing that is there. I don't want to talk about it. I know you don't want to talk about it but it's there. We're going to talk about it. It's not really an issue. It is an issue. Well, it's not a problem. It is a pro- You're at the bottom of the ocean, dude. It's a problem. And we're going to talk about it. And what happens, he says in verse 7, 
when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I tried to push him out of my mind. I tried to ignore him. I tried to reject the thoughts of the Lord. And in that moment, the last possible second, the Lord came back to my mind. And I could dwell on him and I could think on him and I could consider the Lord. And my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. And he says in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who worship any other thing, there is no consistent hope. There's no steadfast love of the Lord. But all of a sudden he's realizing, think about it, he's talking about hope in an absolutely hopeless situation. And he says, even in this situation, the steadfast love of the Lord won't let me give up. It won't let me just say, well, it's over and there's no reason. No, even in this moment, there is hope because of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then we see this surrender and this praise. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. And I say to you, this is the point that God is trying to bring all of his people to. To hem us in. And to remind us that he is worthy of our life and that there's a commitment that we've made if we've come to serve the Lord, that he is calling in the check. He's calling in the bill, saying it's time to give me what you owe. Amen. Brother Renee, if you would come. I'm going to ask you tonight if you would stand and you would worship with me. And we're going to sing of sacrifice and faith and worship and commitment to the Lord, and we're going to deal with our heart, and we're going to say, Lord, what is it in me that I've cornered off that section? I said, Lord, you can have everything else, but not this area, and Lord, when you try to deal with that, I'll wince, and I'll pull away, and i say, you can't deal with that. You can't have that. Don't deal with that. That's the area that's off limits. He says, that's the area that I want to deal with. And if you're a Christian and you've made a commitment to serve the Lord, it's your opportunity to say to the Lord to refresh your heart, refresh that offering to the Lord, and say, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself. I give myself away. And I just ask you tonight, is there anybody that you feel like you've made commitments to the Lord and you want to serve the Lord? But maybe some things have come into your life that have made you pull back from that and have made you be less serious in that commitment or made you pull away. Or maybe you've just forgotten that sacrifice and that commitment and you've not run from the Lord, but that sacrifice has grown cold and that altar isn't burning anymore and that sacrifice to the Lord isn't going up before his presence anymore. And you would say, Lord, I want my life to be all about you. I want to serve you. I want to be given to you. I want your presence in my life. I want your purposes fulfilled in me. If that's you tonight, I encourage you to come in this altar and pray and do business with God. Come as a step of faith that God will renew you, that God will restore you, that God will refresh your heart, that God will remind you of your vows that you've committed to the Lord. What is it that you've told the Lord? Lord, this is yours. It belongs to you. This child belongs to you. This life belongs to you. 
my heart belongs to you, whatever it is that you've committed to the Lord. And you would say, Lord, renew that in me. Help me remember, Lord, that I would pay my vows. Was there a commitment? Was there a time God was dealing with you about evangelizing and sharing the gospel and your heart has grown cold toward it? Is there a time that God has dealt with you about having a serious prayer life and meeting with the Lord? Oh, there's a witness of the Holy Ghost in here tonight. God's trying to deal with the hearts of people. That God has dealt with you about being a serious Christian. That you would serve God with all of your life. That you would serve the church. That you would serve God's people. That you would have a prayer life. That you would be in the Word of God. That you would minister to others. Or maybe that you would just have a posture and an attitude of submission to the will of God and a desire to say, Lord, whatever it is you want to do with my life, I want to do it for your glory. And maybe your heart's gotten cold. Tonight is your night to do business with God and say, Lord, I want to be committed to you. Lord, I want to pay my vows. I want what rightfully belongs to the Lord to be given to him. If that's you tonight, you can find yourself in this altar and seek the face of God. Let's worship the Lord and ask God to have his way in our heart. Amen. Come and worship the Lord. God Almighty, we ask you that you would deal with us. Sovereign Lord, you rule and reign from your throne of grace. And you call to us and you say over our life, it is mine. You say over our faith, it is mine. You say over our prayers to God, they are mine. You say over our time with the word of God, it is mine. You say to our lips, they are mine for the sharing of the gospel and the praise of my name. You say to our mind, it is mine. That that mind belongs to me. It is not to be distracted with the drivel of the world and the anxiety and the cares of the earth or to be torn away and dragged off kicking and screaming into entertainment so that I can't even get the attention of your mind. But it belongs to me. And I'm calling in the vows. Pay the vow that you've committed to the Lord. God Almighty, that you would come and you would deal with our hearts. Have mercy on us tonight and minister to us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord, saints. Let him deal with your heart.